This is the Generations Radio Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host with you. Adam McManus, our host on theworldview.com, our weekday five-minute update on a biblical worldview as applied to the news of the day is with me on this program. And Adam, it does appear that transgendered sports is on the rise, and it seems that the major institutions of our day are more and more moving towards a progressive handling of the issue of whether or not these boys pretending to be girls can participate in girls' sports. A three-judge panel for the Second U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled last week that the Connecticut Interscholastic Athletic Conference and the Connecticut Association of Schools could just allow that to happen. Alliance Defending Freedom had got behind this. And they, of course, lost the case at the Second Circuit. We'll see if this is appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. It sounds like they're considering an appeal. But uh, what is going on here? Why don't you describe what's happening here, Adam? This is one of the most outrageous things that I think human society has ever participated in. Uh, Wow. Just wow. I have a seven-year-old boy named Valor. And if I showed him a picture side-by-side of a 115-pound, five-foot-four woman in her one-piece bathing suit with her swim cap and her goggles, standing next to a 230-pound man who was six feet, three inches tall with his swimming cap and goggles, and ask him, Valor, would it be fair if these two raced against each other? This is a boy who has done summer swim league. He gets the idea of swimming and he knows what it means. And he knows that boys always compete with boys only and girls only compete with girls. And he would say, dad, no, that's not right. The girls should be swimming with the girls and the boys should be swimming with boys. If a seven-year-old can figure this out, why can't the second U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals figure it out? It's because politics and their liberal woke ideology has absolutely blinded them and they can't see straight they can't see the truth well it's the unraveling of human civilization this this is so irrational this is effectively what happens in mental institutes and yet our world has become a mental institute and our major uh, institutions as in supreme courts have turned into mental institutes and i i don't i don't think i'm saying anything irresponsible i'm just simply saying there is an irrationality about what is happening here god gives them up to a corrupted mind romans chapter 1 and this is precisely what's happening all around us the most powerful sporting association in the world has already ruled on this the international olympic committee has issued a new set of transgender guidelines which still allows for participation of men pretending to be women in women's sports Uh, They encourage the typical modern moralisms of inclusion, the prevention of harm, non-discrimination, fairness, no presumption of advantage, the primacy of health and bodily autonomy. You know, what is this? This is just simply saying, hey, you know, people can do whatever they want with their bodies. People can violate God's law and God's established order of things any way they want to. And for that reason, we are going to uh, present a defective way of handling women's and men's sports. Uh, now, the, comp- the committee is now leaving the final decision of the governing body of each sport, and I'm guessing that's what the U.S. Supreme Court's going to do as well, is just simply saying, you know, you guys want to play any way you want to, go ahead. Whether it be the Connecticut Association or any other association, they're probably going to leave it up to each individual association as to how they want to play this out. 
Um, there are still some states that are standing against it. But, uh, friends, this is, of course, a foreign worldview that has utterly destroyed our social systems today, beginning with feminism in the 19th century on into transgenderism. Feminism always moves to transgenderism. The obliteration of gender rule distinction will always lead to the obliteration of gender distinctions. That, that should make sense, you know. Okay, we're not going to pay any attention to God's order of gender roles, and then within about 10 years of that, we're not going to pay attention to God's order of gender. So the obliteration of gender role distinctions always leads to the obliteration of gender distinctions and sexual anarchy. And you say, why? Well, if God cannot determine the boundaries of gender roles, then God certainly cannot determine the boundaries of genders, and God certainly cannot determine the boundaries of any form of sexuality whatsoever. And the reason, of course, is because of precisely what the Olympic Committee said. It's all about autonomy. It's all about individual autonomy. Moral autonomy in the moral revolution has now thrown all absolutes out the window entirely. Therefore, feminism, transgenderism, homosexuality, three Ps in a pod, and we see them coming together. Now, initially, we weren't, you know, we weren't fighting feminists fighting for transgender rights in the 1970s, 1980s. But that's where we are today. Now, as it turns out, they don't necessarily get along with each other. Feminism leads to transgenderism. The only hitch is that men who are pretending to be women want to be treated as women by everybody. Everybody has to join in with a charade. Well, there are a lot of feminists that aren't going to agree with that. They're not, they're, you know, they don't, they don't really like the idea that men pretending to women can compete with uh, women in women's sports. That, that isn't exactly something that they wanted to sign up for. And yet it was feminism that led to the transgender abomination that we're dealing with today. I remember distinctly when I was doing a daily hour-long show on WPJL in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I would get these faxes from Focus on the Family. It was kind of their weekly update from Citizen Magazine, a one-sheet or a two-sheet. And I remember them talking about some obscure United Nations committee that said, we need to revisit the issue of gender. They're really not two genders. They're up to 53. <laughs> and I just laughed about it and talked about it on my radio show, which was Take a Stand at that time. And here it is, you know, 1993, I was on the air there. And I just thought, this, this is never going to go anywhere. People are not stupid. People can see that there are two genders. The biology is self-evident. And yet here we are down the road. 20 plus years and it has exploded. I'm looking at a position statement that the International Olympic Committee set out their framework on fairness, inclusion, and non discrimination on the basis of gender identity and sex variations. And this one line in their conclusion in this like 10 page document says we should strive for policies that value and advance inclusion, maintain fair and meaningful competition, and are fair to all athletes by recognizing their diversity and not relying on biased assumptions to decide the terms of their participation. There's so many contradictory clauses in that one sentence. It just reveals the double-mindedness of the world. I mean, you cannot have, on the one hand, an affirmation of people's gender identity and yet have fair and meaningful competition. Those are at odds with one another. You either have fair competition or you don't. You're either pregnant or you're not. This is a binary issue, and God, as we read in Genesis 127, created the male and female. It's pretty straightforward 
but the world wants to complicate it, their sinful ideology is infecting the entire structure of God's design. It's utter confusion, utter insanity. God gave them up to a corrupted mind, and that's precisely what is happening with the Olympic Committee. Feminism led to transgenderism, friends. Gender role confusion leads to gender confusion. Any question, gender role confusion has led to gender confusion. The one leads to the other. What is this feminism? Girls' sports programs, girl power, girl independence, the inclination of girl equality to boys in every family, every church, every sport, every business field. That led to boys pretending to be girls, playing on girls' teams, and the ends of girls' sports as we know it. Now, that's the irony that marks the end of a civilization. That's where it goes. What these revolutionaries never consider is that their actions will be destructive. The utopia of autonomy and rebellion against God and his law order will always result in destruction. They always forget to ask, what do we do after we have destroyed a civilization by destroying the family, gender role distinctions within marriage and sexuality? All this. What do we do after we have destroyed the civilization? They never answer that question. But we will next on Generation. Stay with us. You know, busyness has a way of creeping into our lives. As dads, it can leave us longing for moments of one-on-one time with our sons to simply talk. And those moments can be tough to come by. I get it. That's one of our top goals for our annual summer father-son retreat in the Colorado mountains, to provide quality time for you to connect with your son. Can you think of anything more important for your schedule next year? If you are looking for an opportunity to bond, to really bond with your son, then join me, Kevin Swanson, and hundreds of other fathers and sons from across the country next August. But be sure to register soon because we max out the camp every year and we're already filling up. Go to coloradofatherson.com today and choose one of the two weekends available before they are full. Lord willing, I will be there and it will be a great opportunity to meet you and your son. This is your chance to secure the lowest price for this event. So go to coloradofatherson.com and register today. And we are back on the Generations Radio Broadcast. Kevin Swanson with you, Adam McManus as well. And why are the leftists, the progressives, always attempting to destroy the family? Why was that part and parcel of the Marxist agenda in the Communist Manifesto? And the answer, of course, is that the individual would see himself a part of the state. The state would have total control over everything. And the destruction of the family didn't matter because the state would somehow retain uh, social control over all the individuals. Uh, but one thing they forgot to consider was that, well, society can't survive without mothers and fathers, that little issue. Uh, just outside issue. of that, I think we're going to do just fine. But uh, <laughs> no, no, we, we're seeing the dissolution of a society. And that's precisely what happened in the Bolshevik experience. And now Russia is trying to climb out from under a hundred years of Bolshevik unraveling of the family, a horrible, horrible curse that fell upon the Russian society and the Ukrainian society. And uh, they still have yet to come out from under the high abortion rates, the high divorce rates and everything that's destroyed Russian society. All right. Well, let's talk about feminism because feminism is very much the root of this atom. Now, I think one of the big questions, what is feminism? A lot of feminists disagree on what feminism is. But I think there are some things that unify feminists. 
Honestly, I think that there's a critical word when you think about feminism, and that is choice. It sounds pleasant yeah. to the ear, but when you consider the actual choices that are being made, you kind of shrink back in horror. Ultimately, the feminist wants the ability to choose to sleep with as many men or women, I suppose, as they please. The notion of a man, a single man, a bachelor, sowing his quote-unquote wild oats is now flipped on its head, and women are interested in sowing their wild oats and exploring their sinful desires. And also, once you sow those wild oats, especially if it's with a man, the likelihood of getting pregnant is higher, obviously, than if you remained a virgin until your honeymoon. And therefore, this child is unwanted and would somehow be an impediment to your sinful, selfish lifestyle. And so abortion is on the table in a major way. And that's why, although Rush Limbaugh got some major pushback from the liberals on the term, he coined the term feminazi. These were feminists who embraced abortion as their ticket to continual sexual licentiousness. And in his book entitled The Way Things Ought to Be, he said, I prefer to call the most obnoxious feminists what they really are, feminazis. Tom Hazlett, a good friend who is an esteemed and highly regarded professor of economics at the University of California, Davis, coined the term to describe any female who is intolerant of any point of view that challenges militant feminism. So I guess originally it came from Tom Hazlett. I often use it, says Limbaugh, to describe women who are obsessed with perpetuating a modern-day Holocaust, abortion. There are one and a half million abortions a year, and some feminists almost seem to celebrate that figure. There are not many of them, but they deserve to be called feminazis. A feminazi is a woman to whom the most important thing in life is seeing to it that as many abortions as possible are performed. Their unspoken reasoning is quite simple. Abortion is the single greatest avenue for militant women to exercise their quest for power and advance their belief that men are not necessary. They don't need men in order to be happy. They certainly don't want males to be able to exercise any control over them. Abortion is the ultimate symbol of women's emancipation from the power and influence of men, with men being precluded from the ultimate decision-making process regarding the future of life in the womb. They are reduced to their proper inferior role. Nothing matters but me, says the feminazi. My concerns prevail over all else. The fetus does not matter. It's an unviable tissue mass. And I would add to that quote from Limbaugh that, Gloria Steinem, the famous feminist, once notoriously said that a woman needs a man as much as a fish needs a bicycle, meaning not at all. And yet she ultimately, I guess, deep-sixed her own philosophy and, and got married, I think, late in life. But that is a revealing quote, don't you think, both in terms of what Steinem said and what Limbaugh said. Yeah, and there's an individuation of the the person, the individual that's so essential in feminist ideology. I think what we're talking about are two different aspects of philosophy. One is the ultimate autonomy 
the ability to make individual choices that are unhindered by society or by God. And then they also are seeking equality or equal power, equal opportunity, equal money, which is the Marxist element of all of this. The assumption, of course, is that there is an individuation of society and the obliteration of the family. Now, two biblical applications that I think come into play is that feminists really do hate Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter chapter 3. I mean, you know, they're not going to read those verses and they're not going to say, hey, you know, amen. Uh, that men should love their wives as Christ loved the church and women should submit to their own husbands in the Lord. They should obey their husbands, except that their husbands, of course, are clearly forcing them to disobey God's laws. But they don't like the idea that uh, women should submit to their husbands or obey their husbands. That just just seems just absolutely intolerable for feminists, which means that, you know, men have a position within the family to lead. And they don't like that. And they don't want that in the church either. Feminists hate the family economy where the family works as a team for one basic income instead of assets. They don't want household voting. They don't want household income. They want to compete with their husbands. They, they see it as a dog-eat-dog, individualized world in which the wife will compete with the husband. You know, it's interesting. I've been doing a research on the history of the Bolshevik Revolution because that's where it all began in the Western world. Uh, This was the most radical move towards socialism and feminism. This is where abortion began. This is where homosexuality was legalized. This is where no-fault divorce came about. It all happened out of the Bolshevik Revolution. And it all happened out of Vladimir Lenin. The very first, most powerful feminist in the world was Lenin. The book that stirred up Lenin more than anything else was this book by Nikolai Chernyshevsky called What is to be Done? Chernyshevsky was another pastor's son, much like Marx was related to a church, and Nietzsche was a pastor's son, and uh, so was uh, John Paul Sartre. So, you know, this is the sort of thing that was very common amongst the Nephilim of the 19th century who did so much to destroy our world. And I write on this in Apostate, the men who destroyed the Christian West. And it was largely those raised in Christian homes often pastors' homes, that brought about the great devastation of the 20th century. So, again, Chernyshevsky writes this book. It's a very revolutionary book. It affects Lenin more than any other book. Uh, It was mainly about releasing girls from a family economy, getting them out of their parents' home, and into a corporate structure run like a democracy. So it's basically it. I bought the book, and I've looked through it. I've seen a number of reviews on the book. But uh, what happens is the protagonist's husband She gets married in order to get out of her parents' home. That was the reason why. She wanted emancipation, and she felt this marriage would uh, give her that emancipation. She didn't like the guy, but she married the guy. So the protagonist's husband fakes his suicide so that his wife can marry the man she really likes, which happens to be his best friend. All in the interest of a woman making her own decisions, living her own life according to her own desires. So the fundamental ethic of the book was not so much free sex as the emancipation and independence of women and the dissolution of the family unit with the father or husband as a responsible head. So that's the whole thing. And that becomes the revolutionary concept that brings about the Bolshevik revolution. I think people need to understand it wasn't so much an economic revolution, wasn't a political revolution as much as it was a social revolution. The grossest manifestation of mass-produced evil in the modern world began 
in the East with the Soviet Union under atheistic Bolsheviks, the prime product of the German and French Enlightenment. The great humanist legacy of mass-produced murder, that is abortion, happened when the Soviets legalized abortion October of 1920 under the decree on women's health care issued by the Russian Soviet Federative Socialist Republic. That legislation was unleashed upon Ukraine on July 5th of 1921. But why? Well, this was the vision of Lenin and the Bolsheviks. In other words, again, it was the social revolution of the last hundred years that has been far more intensive and fundamental not just for the Soviet Union, but for the entire Western world, and arguably for the whole world. I found a uh, 1920s USSR feminist poster where this woman is standing over a woman who's working in the kitchen, and uh, the byline reads, down with the kitchen slavery to a new life. So I I don't think people realize that feminism and the idea of uh, the emancipation of women from husbands, from family economies, was the thing that motivated Lenin and communism and the Bolshevik Revolution. Listen to some quotes from Lenin. This is from Marxist.org. The decay, the corruption, the filth of bourgeois marriage with its difficult divorce, its freedom for the man, its enslavement for the woman, the repulsive hypocrisy of sexual morality and relations fills the most active mind and best people with deep disgust. Lenin and Marx's central goals were to destroy the family, eliminate homeschooling. In fact, right in the center of the Communist Manifesto are those words, uh, eliminate home education, replace home education with social, replace home education with social. Those words make up the very heart and soul of the Communist Manifesto. Most people don't realize that the Communist Manifesto was about abolishing homeschooling. So that was their goal, destroy the family, eliminate homeschooling, and obliterate marriage, where the man is responsible for the material well-being of the home, and the woman is the help meet, or oikos despoteo, or home manager, of the home, as established by 1 Timothy 5, Titus 2, and Genesis chapter 2. So all these modern institutions, the schools, the universities, the businesses, the government policies, were set up to that end. They were set up to destroy the family economy, to unravel the unity of the marriage, and to present what some would see as equal power or equal opportunity for men and women within the same household. Here's the way Lenin put it. We are bringing the women into the social economy, into legislation and government. All educational institutions are open to them so that they can increase their professional and social capacities. We are establishing communal kitchens, public eating houses. Laundries, repairing shops, nurseries, kindergartens, children's homes, educational institutions of all kinds. See, we weren't thinking daycare. Nobody was thinking daycare in 1917. All right. I mean, that all comes from Lenin. He brings that in. In short, he says, we're seriously carrying out the demand in our program for the transference of the economic and educational functions of the separate household to society. This will mean freedom for the woman from the old household drudgery and dependence on man. That enables her to exercise the full talents, her full inclinations. The children are brought up under more favorable conditions than at home. We have the most advanced protective laws for women workers in the world, and the officials of the organized workers carry them out. We are establishing maternity hospitals, homes for mothers and children, mother craft clinics, organizing lecture courses on child care, exhibitions teaching mothers how to look after themselves, and similar things. We're making the most serious efforts to maintain women who are unemployed and provided for. That, my friends, is what communism is all about. That's what Leninism was all about in the early part of the 20th century. You probably recognize that as the society that you live in today. There is a distinct difference between 
the idea that men and women are equal in value. They are indeed equal in value. That's what Genesis one twenty seven talks about. We are both male and female yep. created in oh, God's yeah. image. But there is a decidedly different set of roles that we both have. That's the key component in all of this. Men and women have different roles assigned by God himself to make the family run smoothly, and each one should embrace and cherish those roles. You know, you talk about Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3, the man is supposed to love his wife and sacrifice for her like Christ did for the church, which is he gave his actual life for the church, is the foundation for the following comment from Paul in Ephesians and, and also in, in 1 Peter 3, that a woman is to submit to her husband. It's a submission that is welcome because this is a man that has given everything, has sacrificed everything, that cherishes and treasures his his wife, that encourages even greater submission in terms of a desire to connect in the marital covenant and union as God has prescribed. Well, the results of this vision with the Bolsheviks, I think, is obvious at this point. Good article from the Gospel Coalition, by the way, on this subject. Uh, here's how the Gospel Coalition wraps it up. When the Bolsheviks came into power in 1917, they regarded the family like every other bourgeoisie institution with fierce hatred and set out with a will to destroy it to clear the family out of the accumulated dust of the ages we had to give it a good shake-up and we did a leading communist and active participant in the recent discussion said so one of the first decrees of the soviet government abolished the term illegitimate children this was done simply by equalizing the legal status of all children whether born in wedlock or out of it and now the soviet government boasted that russia is the only country where there were no illegitimate children the father of a child forced to contribute to its support usually paying the mother a third of his salary in the event of a separation provided she has no other means of livelihood. No-fault divorce originated with Lenin's government by 1926 to get a divorce in Russia. A spouse needed only to register with the local Bureau of Statistics and the other spouse would be notified three days later. And that didn't come to the Western world until 1967 or 1969 in the case of the state of California. So, you know, that would have been, what, 44, 45 years after the Bolsheviks brought it into Russia. No-fault divorce, the legalization of homosexuality, the legalization of abortion, all of that coming to the Soviet Union between 1917 and 1926. So, Adam, let's wrap this up. What is to be done by Christians? Let's ask that question. You know, What was to be done by the revolutionaries of Russia? Well, Lenin did it and pretty much destroyed Russia. But what is to be done by Christians? And just a couple of takeaways. Yeah, just a couple of takeaways. Um, the first is we just can't trust our systems. We can't trust those systems that are not consciously, carefully based upon a biblical social system. We need to recognize that these colleges and universities today in particular are organized around, for lack of a better word, as if you've outlined the history here, a Bolshevik social revolution from the 1800s and the 1900s and we need to reject it out of hand yeah i think we need to suspect these revolutions and what they've created to in our institutions today that have affected the way we do family the way we do business the way we do our politics 
And uh, and let me just wrap it up. I mean, I really think we should reestablish the principles God laid out for men and women in terms of role distinctions. And again, that's First Timothy two, First Timothy five, Titus two. Raise your daughters with these things in mind. Raise your sons with these things in mind. the The only way to do this, as I see, is outside of the socioeconomic systems and the educational monolith of modern institutions. We should reestablish family economies, or at least the concept of family integrity, family economy since uh, Karl Marx and Lenin pretty much destroyed it. The solution is not communism. It's not so much capitalism. The solution is family economy. And to get out of the Marxist mindset that life and one's value is established by money, materialism, wealth, and power. And that's what you are getting at. One's value is not established by these things. Uh, a, A man's value, a woman's essential value, all established by God who receives each as equal value created in the image of God. Uh, Love is a value. Relationship is a value. 55 years of marital integrity is a value. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, those are values. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt. That is, we trade our earthly commodities for heavenly investments. This is the worldview that we bring to bear. And I do the best I can to present this in our new book, How the World Runs, and your part in it which effectively brings a biblical view of economy to bear on the modern age and how we should think about it as young people, as families. Well, friends, that that book summarizes macroeconomy and microeconomy from a biblical perspective and and being sure that we don't take it as a money-driven thing as much as it is a kingdom-driven thing. Again, you can get a copy of How the World Runs and your part in it at our website, generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson and Adam McManus inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.